get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. How's it going, everybody? This is uh, Justin Gibbony, uh, Michael Ware, and Chris Butler. We are part of the AND campaign. We are also the authors of Compassion and Conviction, the AND campaign's Campaign's guide to uh, faithful civic engagement. And we are really excited about the release of, uh, of this book. It has Seems like it's just been a long time coming, although we, you know, I think we did a pretty good job in, in getting this done well, but uh, it's, it's, it's been a lot, man. Uh, we'll give folks a, a little bit of time to, to, to join us. I see Allison with us, our, our guide, Jaha, Dr. Jaha Howard. Uh, and so we'll give some folks a, a chance to join in. Uh, but this is a, a big day tomorrow, man. The launch is tomorrow. And this is my first book, right? So I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little anxious. But let me say this while we're waiting, because we're waiting for people to come in. But I want to say this. Shout out to our launch team. I mean, we, we, have, we are blessed to have the illest launch team in the game. I mean, they really not only did we get way more folks on the launch team than we expected, they are so involved and understand that we are in this together. Like they understand that this is bigger than the AND campaign. This is bigger than just this book or me, Chris and Michael. Our launch team understands like we're in this together and we're all trying to change politics. We're all trying to change how, how Christians go about it. So I really want to give a shout out to our launch team. Our launch team is legit, man. They're, they're excited. They're, they're, they're going hard already. I mean, we sold a lot of books more than we expected to uh, in pre-order. And most of that was because of our launch team. So I just want to give a shout out to them as we prepare to just answer you, you guys' questions and really just get into it. Any preliminary thoughts from uh, Michael or Chris? I'm just excited, excited. You, you know, uh, when I it's so uh, the uh, two year anniversary of my join the AND campaign is just in a couple of weeks, and we've been talking about this almost from the the, the day I joined. Uh, sort of how do we concretize and sort of make broadly available our framework, and so to be at this moment where this resource is going to be available to individual Christians, to churches, to Christian colleges and parachurch organizations. It's just like, uh, I'm just so excited to see what this book does out in the world. Chris? I'm sure. No, I mean, I think I just share your guys' excitement about it. Uh, I've I've just really been praying that that God will really blow our minds uh, with, with what happens with the, the material now that is going to be uh, kind of out there in the world. Um, you know, I, I think that it is uh, certainly something that can help uh, equip uh, a lot of folks. I, I always tell the story uh, when I first met Justin in Atlanta, um, it, it, it was like, uh, you know, it, it was like finding an oasis and uh, in, in a really, really, dry land out there in civics and politics for folks who were, you know, uh, living um, a life that didn't fit neatly in, in either kind of accepted political ideological framework. Uh, and, I, and I think a lot of people are going to have that same experience when they read the book. So I'm excited about it. Awesome. Awesome. For those of you just joining us, 
Uh, we are about to be talking about our book, which launches tomorrow on July 21st. It's been a long time coming, and we're just so thankful that you're joining us. I see Zach Holloway. Uh, what's up in Minneapolis? I see Kristen Cairns, uh, our, our guy, Stephen Howard, uh, our sister, Natalie, uh, Natalie uh, Richard. DC showing up. Yeah, in the house. Again, uh, Dr. Jaha Howard. We got George in the house again. We are so excited for y'all joining us and we are going to be answering your questions. The main thing we're going to be doing tonight is answering your questions in preparation for our launch tomorrow. Again, the pre-order sales have been great. And I, I'm going to credit, I, I love Michael and Chris, but I'm really going to credit uh, our launch team because they, again, they have been awesome. Again, they understand that this is about us as Christians coming together and doing something different. So uh, before we really get into the questions, which we're coming, so get your questions ready, write them down, whatever you need to do, we're going to get to it. We're going to try to answer everybody's questions. I kind of wanted the guys real quick to talk about why we created this book. Right. Well, what was you know, what was the need and why, why did we think this book was, was was so important? And and I'll just start off for me. You know, our number one thing while we were writing this book was to be biblical. Right. We wanted to make sure that everything we said was not from our uh, political opinions, was not based on our political affiliation, but was really based on how we saw the Bible speaking into the conversation. And sometimes that was to say that the Bible doesn't speak on this specific thing, uh, you know, uh, in specific terms. And we need to be honest about that. Uh, so that's how we went into this conversation. But I'm, I remember the, the one thing that really stuck with me and the need and why I knew we needed to write this book was talking to a pastor who told me that after the 2016 elections, he had a multicultural church, that he literally had people in his congregation fighting about an election. Right. And that hit me, that struck me and it, it let me know. And he was a experienced pastor. He was a faithful pastor, but it still let me know that pastors and churches and faith orgs needed a resource uh, and that Christians needed to kind of have a paradigm shift with how we thought about politics. And I think God has granted the AND campaign, not through one person or anything like that, a framework that we can apply to today's politics that's really going to help everybody. So I would just say I wanted to create this as a resource. Uh, I wanted to make sure that we were as biblical as possible so that we could help people on different levels. So I think this book works for the person who hasn't been involved in politics and wants to know how to get into it the right way. We're going to give you practical. So this isn't just theory. This isn't it's spiritual, but it's not just spiritual. We're going to give you practical steps on how to get involved in a real way. That was huge for me. But it also works for the person that's been involved for a while and is like, man, I'm doing this wrong. And I think all three of us maybe have had a moment where we're like, am I doing this right? And through our experience, uh, we've been able to, to switch that up. Michael, talk about why you felt like this book was so important to write as we get uh, ready to get into these questions from from uh, from from the folks that are that are on the call. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think this book has has legs. And in, in other words, I, I think that it'll be relevant five years from now just because uh, of. The way, the way that we wrote it, we wrote it so that it wasn't sort of compressed to the current time period. But I will say I'm glad it's coming out now. I, I, I think uh, uh, to pick up on, on your thread, Justin, you know, I've talked with pastors all over the country who are worried about how their congregation is going to make it through this season and how politics, the presidential election is going to affect uh, 
the way that their congregation holds together. They, they're not quite sure what to say because most pastors don't have political science degrees. They, that's not what seminary uh, taught them to speak into moments like this. And so it's a, yeah, I'm excited for this book to provide a common vernacular, a common set of resources. You can walk through this book with your small group, even if you're a, uh, even if you all don't agree politically, and this book will remind you that as Christians, we share something that is far more fundamental than our opinion on the capital gains uh, rate or uh, or some of these prudential issues, which are important, but there's something more ultimate. And we, we try to, um, I love the, 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 the balance of the book to emphasize how important politics is. If it affects people's livelihoods, it, it, it decides issues of justice, and yet to have a book that's about politics, but that doesn't make politics ultimate, um, I think is going to be refreshing for a lot of people. So, so I'm excited for this to um, hopefully not just prevent some some bad things from happening over the next four months, but hopefully leading to some positive conversations, hopefully leading to Christians realizing, uh, hey, we actually have more in common than than we thought we did or Hey, you know, we, we we might be voting differently in this election, but this book reminded me that we could work together on discrete issues, even if we disagree on other issues. We talk a lot about uh, co-belligerence in this book. We talk a lot about sort of processing politicians' rhetoric and understand understanding sort of what they're trying to get out of you. So, so yeah, I'm excited for this book. I, I think it has legs, but especially in this season uh, where politics is so going to saturate the culture. Well, I, I think it'll be a, a an immediate resource for people. Pastor Butler, what, what's your thoughts, brother? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to kind of pick up where where Michael was because I'm I'm a community organizer turned preacher, uh, and so you know one of the things that I was very excited about when we started out on this project was uh, creating language because when when you are a pastor, uh, one of the things that you need is language uh, to communicate. Uh, some, sometimes you know something in your heart, uh, but you need language uh, to be able to communicate it to other people so that they can understand it and, and, and do something with it. Um, and this gives uh, common language. Um, but the other thing that I'm excited about as an organizer uh, is it's, it's an opportunity. And we already see it in, in the great launch team that we have and uh, the folks on, on the stream and, and just all, all this exciting things that are happening around the book uh, that a lot of folks will be able to see that there are more of us uh, than we really yeah. uh, because those of us who have been involved in civics and politics, uh, no matter which side of this you are on, like if you grew up in Republican politics or Democratic politics, if, if your heart is in the end campaign space, uh, it's so easy to feel isolated uh, intimidated um, and, yeah. and powerless. And I feel like this is getting ready to be uh, like a real Elijah moment where you realize that, that there really are 5,000 that have not bowed the need to bail. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm just so excited that in this uh, uh, most difficult season, there's so many things that we're wrestling with politically and civically, uh, to know uh, that, that there are uh, large, large numbers of people who are reading this book, who are buying it, who are reading it, who are sharing it, who are going to be doing small groups, uh, sessions. Uh, and, and, and maybe this can spark something uh, of a movement uh, in, in the church 
uh, uh, that really brings a a fresh spiritual dynamic to our civic life uh, and a fresh civic dynamic to our spiritual life. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. Yeah, you stole my thunder. I think one of the things I was going to come back to was emboldening and encouraging Christians to be biblical in the public square. Yeah. I mean, and that means so much. And, and so much of that can come from community, again, which is why I love our launch team. It's been a community of folks who are committed to what's going on here. Because even though the AND campaign was able to articulate some things and provide some language and a framework that's helpful, we know that folks have been thinking this for a long time, that we didn't actually come up with the gospel-centered framework. We articulated it, and it's going to take a group, group much larger and much stronger than us to push it out there. And, and then that create community. And within the commu- Christian community, one of the reasons that we are a community is that we embolden and encourage each other. And so I hope from this book that some Christians are emboldened to run for office, to become community organizers, to speak out within their party and not feel like they have to try to fit in with some folks who need your help, who need your guidance. Even if they don't admit it, they need to hear what you have to do. Uh, and so that's why we, we wanted to write this book. I mean, I read it a couple of times and just go back and like, man, this really, <laughs> this really came out even better than I expected. And let me tell you this. Um, we'll be so ask questions. If you know, let us know what you want to know. But I, I'll tell you this. I think this, because it has, so at, at the end of each chapter, if you go to the back of the book, there are questions and exercises. It is perfect for you to create a Bible study with this. Like if, you know, you're trying to think, how do I prepare for these elections? How do I get my mind right, my spirit right, things like that? How do I pre- prepare those around me? Because we all have friends that probably are too far to the left or too far to the right. Sometimes it's hard for them to hear it from you because maybe they're too familiar with you. But maybe they need to hear it from us. You know, hear, hear it from some people that are experienced in this area. And so create Bible studies. Buy copies and make sure that, you know, uh, give a copy to your pastor and others. Because I think the more that people are exposed to what we're doing, the more they're going to love it. Also, I want to give a shout out to University uh, Press. Uh, you know, they really worked with us because uh, we had to get this out fairly, fairly quickly just because of the timing of it. And they really worked with us to make that happen. Number one, made sure that it was a quality, you know, we had a quality product here, but also worked with us to make sure that we got it out on time. Whereas a, a lot of folks were like, could have been like, hey, there's just not the time to get it out. And we're getting it out when what we think is, is God's timing, almost perfect timing for this moment. So we'll wait on your questions to come through. I know we got a lot of folks uh, that just want to hear what we're talking about. Let's go a little bit into uh, the chapters, and we're not going to go too deep into them, but just give people an idea of what these chapters are about. Uh, The the first one, uh, you know, we really want to get into why Christians should engage, right? There's this huge debate about should Christians be involved, or are we just here to proclaim the gospel and really not touch politics because it's dirty? And we really wanted to touch on Christians and politics and why those two things uh, need to, you know, there needs to be some interaction between those two, two, two things. Any thoughts just generally, guys, about what people are going to get from this chapter? Yeah, I mean, I, I think folks are going to get a clear biblical case for why, why you should engage in politics and sort of the spirit with which you should engage I mean, I think we're very honest in the book about some of the pitfalls that are in. This is not a Pollyanna. I mean, we've been we've been we've been involved for too long to have a Pollyanna sort of view of things, and so it's not that. But it's it's saying that 
we have a responsibility nonetheless. I, I used to laugh. Uh, I, I, I did this event once in, in New York and uh, someone came up to me after the event and said, gosh, so grateful for you. I don't know how as a, as a Christian, you, you know, you, you, you were in government and in politics. Uh, you know, how, how did you, how did you do it? What weren't there compromises involved? And I, I asked the person, you know, I get asked about this all the time, happy to discuss it with you. I'm interested in what you do for a job. And they, they said, Oh, oh, I'm on Wall Street, but I'm interested in talking about you. And I, and I, I went, you know, it's, it's, uh, there are some unique challenges when you're working in politics or even just as a citizen, but there are challenges in all phases of our life, no matter what our vocation is. The call is to be faithful wherever God has you. And for those of us right. in this country, God has us in the place of, of being citizens. And the decision is how you steward that. And so that's what we get into in, in that chapter and hopefully set a good foundation, answer some, I, I think, some questions that people might have coming in, even those who might be skeptical and hopefully address those up front so that we could get into uh, uh, the broader framework as we as we move on. Awesome. So we did get some questions in and, and I'm going to ask some of those. The first one uh, that I see is from Josh Hurst and he says, what are some of the big obstacles that prevent churches from discipling Christians on how to think Christianly about politics and culture? And I'll just start off with that. I think one of the things are uh, one of the things that we deal with is, you know, some pastors just don't know how to address it. They're getting pulled from two different two different sides, right? If they say something that uh, it deals too much with social justice, then they get pulled, you know, they get pushed from the people on the right. And, and so a lot of folks just don't, either don't know how the language, like, like Chris said, or just don't know where to draw that line. Uh, because pastors know a lot and we're thankful for our pastors, but if they're not experienced in politics and they don't spend all the time in, you know, political stuff, it is hard to it is hard for them to know exactly how to speak about it because politics is changing a lot too, and so that's why I think this is valuable as a resource. So I think that's one of the issues, Chris. What do you think is one of the problems with discipling people when it comes to politics? So I, I mean, I think that language and framework is so important. I mean, if you think about most of the stuff that we spend time discipling our church members, uh, and we have been taught uh, either in in school or through some other kind of training, we've been given language um, and we've been given framework. So when we say, uh, you know, to, to, to talk to somebody about, uh, you know, reading scripture or, you know, what to do in, in marriage, I mean, the language around faithfulness, fidelity, uh, quiet time, devotion, like we take these things for granted, but none of us came out of the womb knowing that language. Uh, and, and some of the stuff that we do as pastors, we certainly didn't come out of high school uh, or, or, or college uh, with that language. We learned it from somewhere. Um, and, and, and a lot of stuff that we uh, kind of know, because most pastors really know a lot of what's in this first chapter kind of instinctively. Uh, but you just haven't been given uh, the language to consistently and systematically uh, communicate it. Uh, and I, I think that's the main thing that you get out of uh, that first chapter is is a, a, a you know I don't want to call it I don't want to raise it to the level of a systematic, but it you you get language and order to consistently lead somebody down that path. Now that's good. Uh, there is a word in there, and I think there's a, a couple sermons too, uh, if you need it. Uh, here's the next question we got from Wendell Cole. 
what are some avenues that you'd recommend to research local issues? Michael, what do you, what do you think about that? What are some avenues to, to research local issues? I mean, I'll say for one, your local newspaper. I think we overlook that way too much. You also can go to your, uh, you know, go to the source, go to your city council, read what's on the agenda. Sometimes you don't have to go to them. It's on the website and you can read what's on the agenda, things of that nature. Same thing with the board. What do you think some other ways to learn about local uh, local issues? Yeah, so depending on your locale, there are all kinds of interesting uh, organizations and, and people that are uh, doing local journalism, even outside of like the mainstream paper. Uh, and so finding local actors who you feel are tapped into various streams of influence and, and following them and just trying to tap in that way. Then another thing is just, uh, and this is honestly something that I, you know, I live outside of DC. It's a transient city. I've moved around a bit in my life, but but recently it's been, I felt again, a pressing that needing to be in closer touch with the people in my uh, proximate vicinity. <laughs> you, you know, like you, you can learn a lot by your community just by knowing who lives in, in your community, what's bothering them, what kind of uh, housing issues are they facing with? Uh, what kind of uh, what kind of are, are they having problems with the local healthcare system? Um, and so, just uh, trying as as Christians, as citizens, as neighbors, being involved, yes, with sort of authorities, and and that's very important. But but I've been challenged recently to be more aware of and more embedded in my actual local. Uh, local community. And, and that's a key thing. And then obviously a key way to do that is through the local church, you, you know, like a a, a, a a key way is to be involved in the life of the local church, which is both community and institution, is both authority and sort of fellowship, kind of the nexus of the two. And so that, that could be helpful. So any, any thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you guys pretty much covered it. I mean, I, I, I like living in Chicago. I always say that we're the uh, uh, the, the biggest small town in America. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of that uh, local community stuff is so priceless. I, I remember when I was organizing on the West Side, you could read all the newspapers and go to council meetings, all that stuff, but sit out on the front porch with somebody for a half hour. Uh, and that's when you really learn uh, what's going on. So. I think all those things are That's good. Get to know the folks around you, man. You know, speak to your elders, folks like that, folks who've been around for a while. Uh, and you'll you'll find a lot. I know one we used to go to some of the uh, senior homes sometimes just to help out, feed folks, and just those conversations with the elders. I learned so much about the history, uh, things I had no idea, connecting dots that I wouldn't have known otherwise. So that's mm -hmm. something to think about. Uh, next time we have some from Zach Holloway who says, speaking of co-belligerence, in your experience, have you felt the need to clarify the difference in ground level motivation or values from the beginning or focus more on common engagement? Man, the book gets deeply into this. Zach, you're going to want to read uh, the, 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 the chapter on uh, partnerships and partisanship. And it digs on this. I mean, it's perfect. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit now. I think one of the biggest things, and we give you very practical steps to go through this is you need, to, you need to know where the boundaries are. Whoever you're partnering with, you need to know their motivations, know their ideology and all those things, and be very clear on who you are and what your objectives are and how far 
this project or whatever you're doing, this initiative is going to go. Uh, again, we really flesh that out in the book. I think you'll walk away from this book and say, I get it now and I can go out and stand with some folks who are non-believers and feel confident that I'm not compromising my beliefs. Any Anything additional uh, you guys want to say in, in that regard? I mean, the book goes really heavy on this point. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, would, I would join Justin and say, read that chapter for sure. Um, because, you know, I, I think that the, uh, it's not, it's not always an easy question. Um, and, and we get very much into it in the book. There, there is one thing, though, that uh, kind of runs throughout the book that I think when it comes to the idea of co-belligerency, we always want to uh, keep front of center. And that's to just be very prayerful uh, and, and be led by the spirit of God as you uh, are doing every kind of engagement. Uh, but that, uh, I think that work, uh, pressing, you want to be very, very prayerful about, uh, as you're doing that kind of work. It's a good thing that you're, taking that, that you're asking that question and taking it seriously because too many Christians don't even think about it. Right. Uh, yeah. We just, we join an organization or join a group or a movement and just go along with them, not even realizing that they're pulling us away from some of our beliefs and the end campaign would never tell you not to join in. We think throughout the things have done their common grace for that, but you got to be thoughtful. You got to really think about, you know, where, where the common ground begins and where it ends. Yeah. All right. The next question we have from Die Blythe, uh, is there a way for you to get the information about and uh, to all churches? We're trying to, every day we're thinking of ways to do that. Uh, we're still a, a fairly small organization. Although I think we're scrappy and uh, we're punching up. I think we're doing a very good job. But really, again, it's you. You guys are going to help us kind of get that message out there because it's a, a message for the church, the biblical message that the AND campaign is helping out, but it's bigger than the AND campaign. So I really think for us to get our message to your church is going to take you. For us, us to get our message to churches around you, it's going to take you. Uh, so be, you know, we are very happy if you'll hand out, you know, hand our books to people, share our content on social media, share it with your network. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, we only have so much reach at, at this point and we really need God uh, to help us out with that. So I think that's the key. We have plenty of content. So there's, there's no lack of content, especially with the book. But I think you guys are really the X factor with that. And if you'll join us in this movement, we'll really spread the word because we've noticed that when Christians hear about this framework, the more they hear about it, it's like, this is what I've been waiting for. The hard part is getting it to enough people because there's so much information coming at them. They need people that they know and trust to bring the conversation to them. Any any thoughts on that, guys? Or Just to pick up on where you left off, which is, you know, kind of if I was going to express one of my hopes or something I'm, I'm looking out for is, you know, what happens with key ideas is there's a legitimizing moment. and if if this book can play a role in in stoking that legitimizing moment for this way of looking things at looking at at things looking at politics as Justin has said we we didn't invent uh, we're, we're drawing on example and Christian tradition and theology uh, that's that's old but what it needs is uh, a legitimizing moment where people say oh that's actually workable in the here and now some of these ideas aren't just things to be taught in your homes and sort of practiced in your own sort of personal life. These are things with public application. Uh, and, and so that's, that's what I'm hoping the book 
uh, can can play a role in doing that. It's it's a it's a it literally a concrete sort of physical thing that people can can actually see and and it it'll be in bookstores and uh, and it can hopefully grow from there. Awesome. We got another question from Ben. Uh, this is a good question, as others have been as well. But how would you recommend presenting the book to those who are so entrenched in their political idolatries? that they are immediately suspicious of the book being too conservative or too liberal. Uh, I'm thinking about a few people in my church that I imagine will be suspicious. Uh, I'll take a shot at it. I think, number one, you want to approach this with humility, uh, not an in-your-face, let me throw this book at you to show you that you're wrong. Uh, I would approach it and say, hey, man, this, this book really challenged me. Let me see what you think. And you may even start with a point in the book that they would agree with. Right. So there may be a point in the book that you say, you know what, they're going to like this point. Let's start off that and then get them interested in the rest of the conversation. Because I think one reason the Ann campaign has been has had some success and resonated is that we were we're even handed. Right. We're not trying to put one party or, you know, one ideology over another. We critique everyone. And I think within that honest critique, it's allowed us to build some credibility. But I'll, I'll let the other brothers speak on that as well if they have addition. How would you approach somebody who you know is probably going to try to reject it because it's just not conservative enough or, or progressive enough? Yeah, I, I mean, I hope I don't get too passionately on this, but my, my first response is to let it produce fruit in your own life um, and, and let that be a witness uh, to folks around you. Um, you know, e even in the course of writing the book uh, and being a part of the AIM campaign, uh, you know, we are all constantly being refined. Uh, and uh, every, most people, let me not say everybody because I don't know everybody, but most people who are deeply entrenched uh, in one party or the other um, are that way because there's some things that are really valid that they really care about and they've seen really bad actors uh, on the other side. Um, and so to see somebody who, if, obviously, I think if they know you, if you're close enough to know that about them, uh, they will be able to see this book changing your language, changing your behavior, changing your process on co-belligerency. And uh, uh, we have a, a chapter in the book uh, on rhetoric and how to analyze that. We have a chapter in the book on civility uh, and how you are constantly dealing with people who you disagree with. And I think as that produces life uh, in, in you, uh, It'll speak more powerfully than anything that you can say um, about the book. That's all. That's good. Michael, I'm going to give this next question to you. It's from Matthew Barco, our, our, our friend in Pittsburgh. Uh, would you recommend black and white churches partnering together to go through this book? I mean, I think it could be a beautiful thing. I think the content is appropriate for it. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we've talked a lot. At the end campaign about how you know we think a, a foundation for um, racial conciliation for uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, racial justice work is in the gospel is in theology we've also talked about the fact that sort of attempts to uh, treat politics as the one area that we just can't touch to, to sort of make that the sort of the sort of uh, idle the 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 one the one place like don't don't touch my politics is just not gonna uh, that's not the pathway to to so the fact that this book talks uh, applies a biblical framework uh, 
touches on, we have a chapter on, on race and politics, but also zooms out so that you're not just talking about race <laughs> all, all the time, <laughs> uh, but, but that you're also talking about systems and what it's like to be a Christian in the world. <laughs> I mean, I think this book has applications just for folks who feel even outside of politics, just what it feels like to to post something on Facebook and see see the comments scroll in, and so so yeah, I, I think that would be a beautiful thing. I think uh, your own church going through it, it will give you ideas and I think a, a rationale and and even some additional motivation uh, to partner with other churches and maybe representing different backgrounds from your own in the in the neighborhood. So yeah, I mean, I think one of our hopes for this book is that it is a practical resource for Christians across racial lines, across all kinds of lines to see how they could work together um, in a way that's true to their faith. Awesome. That's good. Uh, our next question is from Garrett Wooten. I had to just processing through uh, image of God issues when neither political party has fully developed, has a fully developed platform, specifically regarding abortion from the left and immigration and criminal justice uh, reform from the right. Chris, what are your thoughts on that? How, how would you suggest processing through what we're calling these Imago Dei uh, image of God issues? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it goes first back to the framework, right? Because the uh, I think this, the scriptures have a fully developed platform uh, on Imago Dei. And so when we start there, uh, what we end up doing is actually calling both parties, both kind of ideological groups closer, higher, however you want to look at it. Um, But if you start inside of the ideology, you'll never get there. Uh, And I think that's one of the great things about this end campaign framework is that it starts with scripture, um, which is not at all lacking. Uh, And and then we have to keep calling parties closer and closer. Just repetition. Uh, building groups of people who are saying the same thing. I mean, that's just kind of how politics goes. But absolutely, I think you got to start with the scripture and you've got to really carve away and erode some of that, that those just false messages and, and, and false narratives that are really prevalent. But if you really start knocking at them, they're not that deep, right? That you really can knock them down if you take the time to do it. Uh, and I think we've done that fairly well in this book. Uh, this next one is from, this next question is from a window Deacon Cole. Uh, and he says, what are some of the helpful approaches uh, in an in analysis of an issue in order to get to the, to the core of it beyond the rhetoric? Another question where I wanted to say, read the book, because this, we have a whole chapter on messaging and rhetoric. And this is, I, I, I really like this. I mean, I enjoyed this chapter, writing portions of this chapter more than any of the other ones. I just, for this one, I just, I don't know why, I just really like this chapter. And it gives you, again, some very detailed ways to see past rhetoric. One of the things that I noticed, and you guys may agree with me, is you got to kind of have a trained eye. I think for over a decade, I gained a trained eye where I can see not just what you're saying, but what does the speaker want me to hear, right? What images are they trying to create? What are they trying to connect me to? Because right. a lot of speakers, what they'll do, they're trying to connect you to something that you already know and like or dislike and use that to move you in a direction where you want to go. And it really ch- takes somewhat of a trained eye. It takes time. But if you read this book, <laughs> and you might want to read this chapter a, a couple times, 
you will understand what a trained eye sees, and then you'll be getting, you'll be able to kind of analyze what people are saying, not just based off what's coming out of their mouth, but what what symbols and what you know images they're trying to create for you. Any, any additions to that guy? Yeah, no, I mean I think that's exactly exactly right, and, and it's again I want to um, emphasize. You know, so there there are books and trainings on, on media literacy or understanding medical information. So I, I do want to caution people against a feeling like politics is this one complicated realm, and everything else that I go through in my in my life is is simple. Uh, when we talk about processing rhetoric in, in, in politics, it's it's only because it's a specific sort of medium. And just like if you want to understand any sort of stream of culture or any sort of area of expertise, you need to treat civic life with 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 that kind of attention. Uh, and, and when you do, you'll see it's not something that promotes cynicism. It's actually something that promotes understanding. You'll start to watch politicians speak and go, oh, I know why they're why they said it, even, even if that's not the way I would have said it. I understand the, the the concerns and the, the things that they have to navigate that led them to say it that way. So sometimes understanding things more deeply will actually lead you to feel less cynical <laughs> about, the, about the process because now you're not just sort of paranoid all the time. You're not sort of <laughs> wondering if, if there's a shell game going on. You'll actually be able to see what's under the shells and see see what what's what's happening. And so I think the chapter does a, a really good job of of unpacking some of uh, what motivates elected officials, uh, why they say and talk in the way that they do. It, yes, it will it will uh, give you an eye of skepticism when that's required, but it'll also just help help clarify the process for you. Yeah, I, I think I would I would just add to that question. Um, this idea of, of in, in that chapter, there's great material, but I, I, I think the whole book is, is helpful there because what, what this book does, it kind of reminds me, when, when I started uh, becoming interested in organizing, I was actually a sixth grader on the west side of Chicago, and I was connected uh, to this organization, South Austin Coalition, and an organizer named Bob Andresik. Uh And when I, when I told him that I wanted to learn about organizing, he gave me Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radical. Uh, and told me to read the book, uh, and and then we could you know start to talk about uh, what organizing is. And, and what Alinsky does is is in that book takes the progressive agenda and connects it to the tactics of organizing uh, in a in a pretty uh, systematic and organized fashion. Uh, and I didn't really know this when we started writing the book, but when I read it in its in its totality, that's really the book that it mostly reminded me of, uh, because this takes uh, kind of a kingdom agenda, if you will, and connects it to civic and political uh, tactics. Uh, and, and I think when you when you know where you're going, you can see rhetoric and you can dig into issues with a very robust skill set because uh, you, you can say, is this headed in the right direction? Um, and, and you're not kind of analyzing it in a piece by piece uh, uh, sort of a way, but you have a, a more global view. So I, I think that the deep understanding of the material in the book will help very much in analyzing issues. Is that a full endorsement of Saul Alinsky and Rules for Radicals, Chris? Uh, if you want to be <laughs> still progressive, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, good, I like that answer. Uh, our next question comes from Stephen Howard, uh, who's our guy. Um, and he says, based on the book's moral framework, do you see strong examples of positive Christian political engagement when it comes to current office holders? In other words, which politicians do you look up to? And I'll, I'll start this off, you know, one that we actually interviewed on uh, 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 church politics is uh, state senator, uh, Louisiana state senator Katrina Jackson who is a Democrat uh, that has nothing to do with it, but she stands up for what she believes. She's pro-life. And so she doesn't try to fit within, you know, the party's framework for her, but she does what's right. Uh, and so that's, some, that's someone that I would name guys. Who, who do you see? What politicians do you see that are getting it right? Which doesn't mean we agree with everything they're doing. Right. But they are trying to be faithful. Well, we've had another guest on our podcast. And again, you know, there there are some, we disagree with him on policy sometimes, but Senator Chris Coons is someone who consistently is, A, thinking through his politics through the lens of his, his Presbyterian faith. Uh, and secondly, is someone who I think has made some sacrifices to, um, to treat those who disagree with him politically with, with dignity and respect and giving them a chance to prove themselves to at least, at least be in be in earnest and, and, and give them a chance to to participate in a in a healthy way. So I think Chris Coons is someone, you know, I think um I, I do think of uh, Karen Bass, um, who is the chair of the CBC. Um I, I've been able to work with her a bit on adoption and foster care. And that's that's another area where she's she she's refused to take easy shots that I think some of her fellow partisans would want her to take because she's prioritizing children's welfare over politics. Um, and, and then, you know, I, I think um, I wrote a little bit about John Kasich, um, who isn't an elected official now, but uh, I admired much, even if I disagreed on some policy issues, I admired much about his uh, 2016 uh, presidential campaign and the way that he he refused to use tools in the toolbox that aren't, in my view, uh, tools that a Christian should be should be using. So those are those are a few examples. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would uh, point mostly to uh, I mean, there are a handful of folks uh, in in the state of Illinois and uh, in, in our state legislature. I think about Senator Jackie Collins. Um, I, uh, just, you know, and again, I don't agree on every point of policy, uh, but I think it's one of the things that you'll find in the book. We're, we're not trying to create a homogenous policy viewpoint. Um, it's more about asking questions and being critical and, and, and understanding that we can be critical and ask questions and end up in a different spot. Uh, and, and, you know, so I think about uh, uh, Senator Collins. I, I think about, um, you know, a lot of folks I think about actually not elected officials, but uh, folks who are working with elected officials, Vince uh, Casillas, uh, just an involved uh, political, uh, but willing to push clients and candidates and, and ask questions and uh, be faithful on your social media. Um, and all those things are important. And, and so I think that those are the behaviors that, that I admire. Uh, it's just a willingness uh, to not take the easy way. Yeah. 
I think, you know, folks like uh, former governor, uh, Tennessee governor, uh, Bill Haslam, these are folks that you can look at and say, I didn't necessarily agree with you, but I think you did what you felt was right. And I think you were trying to be faithful. Uh, and that's important. And I also got to throw my boy there, and this is real. Uh, again, after Jaha Howard, who's in the uh, Cobb County School Board, uh, fights the good fight, represents who he is, man, and uh, has gone through a lot for his faith and has stuck with it. So those are some good ones. The next one, the next question is from uh, Tim Zolker. And the question is, can you address what churches should do politically as churches and what Christians should do as individuals politically? How, sh how should we see the difference? Or would you say uh, there are any differences? I'll pass this first to Chris. So I, I think there is a, a distinction. I wouldn't necessarily say a difference. Um, because, you know, one, from, from the view of the church, what is the church if not a collection of Christians? Um, but I think that that's true of the church from a spiritual perspective and from an institutional perspective. Um, there are things uh, that we uh, can do and should do as individuals. Um, you know, we should disciple our children. We should be faithful in our conversations on our social media. Um, you know, and, and with our personal votes. Uh, but then there are things that we actually cannot do as individuals, that we actually need uh, to act through institutions um, to do, right? So we can disciple children, but, but as, as individuals, we don't uh, systematically teach values. We do that as, as churches, as institutions. Um, the church has to do that. As an individual, uh, we can be faithful on our social media as a church, as an institution, uh, we can speak much more powerfully into the public square uh, to, to call to account those who need to be called to account to speak prophetically, uh, to encourage whatever needs to happen. Uh, so I, I think that there's a, there's a distinction, but it's more so on the line of a progression, I think, more than a difference. Uh, there are things that we must do uh, as individuals, and, and that should become uh, uh, weightier and more significant. Uh, and more impactful uh, as we act through institutions to be similarly faithful. That's good. Michael, any addition to that? That was. Yeah. I, I mean, Chris uh, laid it out. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I just add, you know, I think there's a lot of grace on this question and I think it's fair to consider uh, different traditions have approached these issues in different way. And so reading about how one church might have addressed the political season and trying to impose that on your church or on another church is, is not probably the, the healthiest way to go. Of course, we can all learn from each other, but I think there's a cognizant about the, the stream that you're in. And then I'd also say, you know, I, I do think there's a, I think the, the sort of sanctity of the pulpit is something that's worth protecting. And I think the it's, it's um, you know, you, you want to be careful, especially as pastors, about reading reading your policy views from the same pulpit with which you read the gospel and how confusing that could be for congregants if you aren't really clear about what is dogma and what is application, uh, a, a prudential application. And so we, we get into that in the book. We, we get into um, how, how Christians should think about what does it mean to apply your faith to your politics? Does that mean that every position you hold is theologically unassailable? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that at all. And I think that I think the book will, will walk folks through that. That's good because that that really feeds into Jonathan's next question: is what's appropriate and inappropriate from the pulpit? 
Uh, and I think one of the things that we talk about, and I'll pass this to Chris too, is you don't want to just be given a kind of a partisan, you know, agenda from the pulpit, right? You don't want to just be kind of repeating partisan talking points and all that stuff. doesn't mean that you can't speak on issues and there are issues that we think you probably need to speak on if you can. I, I'm very slow to tell pastors what to do. Yeah. Um, but, 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 you know, there are certain times where, you, you know, your flock might need to hear how the Bible applies to a certain issue that's really impacting society. A lot of times we hear a lot of partisanship coming from the pulpit and on both sides. And, and sometimes that's just not helpful. But I'll, I'll let uh, Chris speak on it a little bit because you're going to get that in the book, too. Yeah, man, I, I think it's, it's the, there's great material in the book. But I, I really think and, I, and I'm, I've said this a few times. Uh, but I think most pastors are good at knowing they flock. They're good at preaching. Um, what has been missing is is the way to talk about this in a way that you actually don't get into your partisan ideals, um, but you actually stick to principles and you, you're preaching the Bible. You're not preaching politics at all. Um, you know, and it's just like you talk about anything else. When you, you talk about marriage, you don't tell people what restaurant to go to or, you know, where they should vacation for two weeks or, or four, right? Like you, you just talk about marriage from the principles. Uh, you, yes, you give certain applications so that folks can grasp it and understand it. But I, I love what the book does because it equips you with language and a systematic approach. Most pastors, we don't need to teach you how to preach. You know how to preach. Um, this gives you the language and the framework um, wherein to, to, to preach. Our next question is from Sarah Kennedy, and it is, what kind of local slash state partisan uh, politician or party response do you see in the cities where you have local chapters? Um, I think the response has been interesting. I, I, one of the things I would say is there's just been interest in what's going on. So, for instance, we threw an awesome uh, event, uh, faith and politics event in Chicago. where We had politicians come in and and uh, kind of give their case of why they should be the mayor. I think it was one of the, you know, uh, the best, you know, uh, platforms or forums that they had for that for, for that particular race. And so there's just been a, a, an openness to share. Uh, when we create a platform, they've been open to kind of have a conversation. Uh, and so there hasn't been really any, any fight or anything like that. We've been just focused on education a, a lot of the times. And there's been an openness to participate. Um, Hopefully it stays that way for a while, but that's generally been the response that we've had, uh, that, that politicians have been happy to come and have a conversation with us uh, and know that we, you know, that we're going to ask some questions that are faith-based questions. And they've been open to, to receiving those. So I think in, in, for the most part, it's been a pretty good response. Uh, Gina Koppel has the next question. Can you give us a brief overview of the book and what the AND campaign is about? Uh, I'm new to all of this. Uh, maybe others watching are too. I'll give you something brief because uh, I think a lot of people are watching kind of kind of know what and is about. But in general, general in general, uh, the and campaign is trying is urging Christians to be a little less partisan and to be a little less ideological and more biblical. We think that it's time for a paradigm shift in how Christians view uh, politics. We think too often that Christians have allowed their political affiliation to become religious in nature. And so they are following their party and their ideology in the spaces and into ideas and votes that are just not healthy and are not faithful. So the and campaign is really seen itself as a resource, a resource for churches and Christians and faith organizations 
to help you have a framework for more faithful engagement. And that's exactly what this book uh, talks about. The AIM campaign literally means uh, compassion and conviction, social justice and moral order. In, in our political landscape, there seems to be this false dichotomy that separates social justice from moral order, that separates love from truth, and that separates compassion from conviction. And the AIM campaign literally means bringing those things together because we think the gospel brings those things together. There is no uh, false dichotomy uh, between love and truth. Love and truth actually work together. And for love to have any kind of form, you need truth. Otherwise, it's just whatever we want it to be, right? Same thing with justice, same thing with compassion and conviction. Uh, and, and really our message is based on Ephesians 4.15, where Paul is telling the church of Ephesus that a mature Christian, regardless of what's going on, is able to speak the truth in love. Uh, which is telling us that the gospel is truth and love, not one or the other. We like to just take it and, and use one or the other based on what we're trying, what message we're trying to get through. The Bible says that, that it's both and that we should be able to speak with both. So we think that applies not just to our spiritual engagement, not to our interpersonal engagement, but to our engagement in the public square. And that's pretty much it. It's about the compassion and conviction. It's about the orthodoxy, which is right doctrine, doctrine and orthopraxy, which is right practice or right conduct. We're bringing those things together uh, because we think that our society in many ways ha has separated the two. And so in short, that's what the AND campaign is about. And you'll get an even deeper understanding of that in the book. Next question I see is coming from Jana Gilbert. And, and she asks, if you were in an influential or diverse church uh, in a community and you felt uh, and you wanted to pull and you wanted to get to this space, but personally felt ill-equipped how would you begin? Uh, would you have an event? Would you have a small group? Would you discuss the book? Uh, so if you wanted to get into the space that the AND campaign is talking about, you wanted to start having these conversations in your diverse church, how would you get engaged? The one thing I would point to is, is yes, you could get the book. And again, the book has, each chapter has questions and activities that help you engage and apply what you just learned in the book. So I think that's a great place to start, but you can also contact the AND campaign at engage at andcampaign.org. Did I miss anything, guys? Is there any other uh, other ways to get involved? Yeah, I mean, I'll just say, you know, I do think the, the, the book, folks will feel challenged reading the book. What they won't feel is like backed into a corner. <laughs> like this is not a manipulative book. And so I, I do think it's an ideal for a small group setting in a diverse church because you can walk folks through it. And yes, folks will have to ask serious questions about whether their faith, whether they've allowed their faith to touch certain aspects of how they view politics. But it's something that um, uh, will, will, will sort of fit all sizes. People can walk through it together, wrestle with, uh, with their views together. Um, so, so, so yeah, I, I'd really recommend that. Awesome. All right. Zach Holloway has a question. He says, uh, for each of us, was there a particular chapter or area that the Lord struck you with uh, fresh motivation or encouragement uh, as you were working on it? Chris? Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, for me, uh, and, and I'm going to be transparent with the audience here, it was the racial reconciliation piece. You know, and in, in, uh, in, in a lot of my work, uh, uh, racial equity, racial justice um, has been the emphasis. And to really have to, to study and write 
uh, about uh, reconciliation, uh, which, which I mean, is the high goal of the gospel, um, was, was challenging uh, for me and just reminded me uh, that in, in, the, uh, in the midst of a, uh, a valid and right quest for equity and justice, those are really stopped on the road to reconciliation. Um, so that was my chapter. Michael? You know, there were, I, that chapter was meaningful too. Uh, there were, throughout the writing process, there were uh, multiple sort of flashpoints that I think we were able to view that chapter through a number of different angles just in the time that we had to write it. Uh, not to mention that these are questions that have, you know, shaped our, our lives, but just in the writing process uh, to, to, to see new news stories come out and, and try and make sure that the chapter didn't dissemble in the face of the news we were seeing. So I think, I think that chapter was, was key. And then, you know, like Justin, I really enjoyed, I think the chapter on rhetoric, I just haven't seen anything like it in books about, especially from a Christian perspective on politics. I, I just think folks are going to read that chapter and be, I think it's going to be eye opening for a lot of folks. And I feel like folks are going to read that chapter and it'll be, as Justin's been saying, like a, like a paradigm shift kind of moment. And I, I certainly enjoyed working on it. So, so yeah, that, that chapter on rhetoric, I think is a powerful one. Yeah. I really enjoyed the one on rhetoric. I think I had the most fun doing that. The most challenging one for me was the compassion and conviction, which really talks about our framework and how that works together. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't understand what I wanted to write, but I wanted to dig deeper and give examples and make it as clear as possible what we were getting at. And so I, <laughs> I think it was about two, three periods where I was just like trying to figure this out and frustrated and, and all that stuff. So it was the hardest one. But I think the depth of that and the way that it reveals the, the the framework, God made me work hard on that one, made us work hard on that one uh, for a reason. Because I think that that chapter really is kind of the core of, of, of what we have and everything kind of grows out of that chapter. And it wasn't easy, but we really dug deep to articulate it in a way that people could understand. Uh, because uh, let me tell you something, this book is... I think it's going to be very helpful to Christians, but I also think it's going to be for those who are partisan. So if you come into this conversation and you're very partisan, that chapter is going to <laughs> it's going to reveal that uh, that chapter is really going to challenge you because it really does come at some of the assumptions and the false narratives that a lot of us are following. And we we I think we went extra hard to kind of dig into that uh, in that compassion and conviction chapter. So I hope you all enjoyed it. A lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears went into that chapter. Uh, I think it turned out really well. So a very good question, though. Um, the next question I have here is, running out of time, we're going to try to get as many as possible. Guys, we, we can speed up a little bit on answering these so we can get to everybody's question. Uh, this is one from uh, Eric Reagan. It says, I've heard many Christians talk about feeling politically homeless. Do you think it's important for us to choose a party to maximize our impact uh, or any or or for any other reason. Again, we have a we have a chapter on partisanship and partners partnerships and partisanship, which will really dig into this. Uh, but but I'll kind of hand it to Chris Michael to get your thoughts on that question. I'm sort of extensively on the record on, on this question, and I'd say you know the better way to think about it is uh, how are you stewarding the dis. The, 
the decisions you make and what party you join to isn't the only one. And once you join a party, if you join a party, that only leads to other decisions you have to make. And so part of it is we're putting a little too much weight on the question of, of party identity. Uh, and it's because we're treating our party as an identity. <laughs> uh, so uh, the, the, the question you want to ask is, will joining a party be of benefit to my neighbors? Is it face, faithful? Um, is it a better stewardship of the responsibility and location that, that God has given to me and placed me in? Uh, but I wouldn't load so much sort of moral burden uh, on the question. If you're praying about it, if you're thinking about how you could be useful and how God can make you useful in a situation, those are the kinds of questions you want to ask that'll help, help you figure that, that out. Yeah. And I think, so do you have to be in a party to be faithful? No. Is there a practical advantage at some point to being in a party because you're using a party as a tool? Well, is there a practical advantage to using a hammer, you know, in certain situations? Yeah, it doesn't mean that hammers your identity, though, right? Uh, so, so that's kind of one way to think about it. I think there is some practical uh, help there. But again, when you go to that chapter about uh, partnerships and partisanship, you'll get an even deeper dive into, into what we mean from that. Uh, let me next go to Andrew. Andrew has a question. And he says, uh, your tagline is too progressive for conservatives, for progressives. However, convictions can often lead us to positions that aren't centrist or moderate, uh, but seen by seen in the public as far right, pro-life or far left, uh, universal health care. Can you explain what you mean by that tagline? Uh, I wouldn't take that too far. It's, it's just it's more of a, a, a feeling, a general feeling. Right. So you can't apply it of that specifically. But I think what we meant was that a lot of Christians feel like when I'm around my progressive friends, I can't agree with everything they're doing because they're too far left, right? Or when I'm around my conservative friends, I just don't feel completely fit in. And what we're more saying, rather than a direct application of that tagline, because it is a tagline, uh, what we're saying is good. Don't feel like you have to fit in with either side. It's okay to be a little bit different. That does not mean that you land in the middle of every issue, right? Because that, that would be generic. That would not be helpful at all. Uh, it's more of a thought process, right? It's a, a sort of humility. It's an understanding that there's nuance, right, to, to, to the conversation. And so I'm not just going to be with one ideology every time. That's really what it means rather than we would be directly in the middle on every issue. Because sometimes we may be more conservative of what we think than some Republicans are. We may be more progressive on how we think of it than some Democrats are, right? Uh, but the general idea is it's okay not to fit in, right? It's okay to be different than what's presented to you. Uh, and that's that's pretty much what we're getting at. Let's yeah, see. Can, I, can I just say one thing on that, Justin? Because I think it's, it's very, very important to uh, the potential of the book uh, because this is a mostly moderate uh, country, but too often we treat moderates as if what moderates us is dispassion on issues. That's not what moderates us. What moderates us is is that we don't fit nicely into either side of the political uh, 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 dichotomy that most people try to put forward. And I think that's true about not just Christian moderates, probably every moderate. Yeah. It's not that I don't care. Is that I right. feel, the things that I feel strongly about on some issues, I feel you know the way that the right feels, and on other issues, I feel the way the left feels. But I feel very, very passionate. Um, about that. And I, I think that there's potential in this book to organize the middle, right? There's a, a very passionate middle, though, right? Like not dispassionate and don't care. 
No, that's good. Very good. Uh, Polly, Polly Harden has another question, and she asks, how do you communicate to Christians who would have different interpretations of scripture that influence their involvement in politics? Very good question, and we, we handle this uh, clearly in the book. Uh, we are orthodox, small or old Christians. We are biblical Christians, which means, you know, we have a high view of scripture. Uh, and so when we're communicating, we think that the Bible has a hermeneutic, right? So there are things we have different denominations. There are secondary things that we disagree on, right? We, we all don't disagree. We have, you know, people who think, you know, um, women should be pastors, people who don't think they should be pastors. We work through those, those differences. We don't agree on every issue, but we do think the Bible has a general hermeneutic that all interpretations, especially on those primary issues, are not equal, right? And so um, we can interpret, there are a lot of things that we can interpret. Again, this is a framework. So there are a lot of things that we could say, well, we can disagree. It's fair to disagree on some of those issues. But we would say for something like the pro-life issue, we can disagree on what policy there is. We don't think, if you know, having a high view of scripture that you can say that, you know, we're not not really concerned about how, how an unborn baby is treated or that unborn baby is not a human. I don't, uh, you know, that that to us would not be a accurate interpretation of the Bible. Some people say everybody has their interpretation. People do have interpretations, right? Uh, but if I were to read a Dr. Seuss book, uh, The Cat in the Hat, and I said it was really about a moose that, that lived in a valley, that would just be a bad interpretation, right? And so there are bad interpretations. We try to get as close as we can, especially on those primary matters where we can disagree on secondary matters any any so yeah that that's how we're handling that is that the last question it looked like it might have been no there's one more we have jason martinez we appreciate you joining us uh jason uh he asked us with all the concern over marxist ideology in the social justice movement do you think it's important that socially conscious christians develop their own language I'm going to, uh, I really want to answer this because I just tweeted something out about that. I do think we need to be, not not because of the Marxist stuff. I, I don't really worry about that so much. I think we can be aware of it, but some people just use that to, to deflect and not deal with justice yeah. issues in a social context at all. So I don't really, I don't get to that stuff. However, we have to be very careful. And again, the book talks about this, about the language that we use and how it's used. We cannot just adopt every, all the language that comes out of the secular progressive, you know, space. We can't adopt all the language that comes out of the conservative. We have to be careful with our words. So uh, brother, you you hit on something that's really important and let me pass it to Michael and, and Chris to see if there's any other points they can add to the importance of that language and what we acquire or, you yeah. know, kind of adopt from other people. Yeah, I mean, we talk about this a lot. So, so this question we could we could go for another hour. Uh, I mean, plus, uh, you, you know, I, I think just the thing I'd add to to what Justin said was uh, it, it is really important. So much of politics is language. So much of living together as a society is about language. And so, uh, by just if you're just going to adopt what other people are using as a tactic, uh, then you're you're taking on maybe more than you think you are. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I just affirm Justin's emphasis on you don't, it's not just about running policy positions and what seems to be the most concrete thing through a biblical filter. 
but I mean, there's a lot in scripture about being careful about the words we use. It's not just about sort of how how we act or sort of uh, where we spend our money, but but the words we use are, are a currency that scripture pays close attention to. Um, and in politics, we gotta pay we gotta pay very close attention to it. Awesome, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I, I I would just say you know in politics we have to pay very close attention to our words, right? Um, and, and yes, justice uh, in one way. I mean, how can that not be the church's word? Uh, but when, when, if you really want to get into civics and politics, not for the purpose of being loud, but for the purpose of being effective, uh, then you have to be. Um, very critical about the, the words that we use, because as, as you'll find in the chapter on rhetoric, uh, that's such an important part of, of making progress. Um, and and, and I'm, I'm, I think we should develop that language. And the other thing I would say is that one of the things we need to do as Christians is go deeper with language. We are in a shallow world right now when it comes to rhetoric. Um, and we just need to go deeper. Yeah, I, I know I said, you know, we could go on, so I should keep it short. But but what Chris just said is so important, which is what happens when we just adopt the language everybody, is, everybody else is using is we're actually starving our society of the rich resources available within the Christian tradition for ideas and concepts and words that could could greatly edify our public dialogue. And so so that that just that what you said, Chris, is so important to actually go back and and think about um, th think about Christian truths and Christian vernacular as a contribution to the broader society. I mean, th this is a, like human rights <laughs> as a concept didn't come out of nowhere. <laughs> it, it came because people addressed, put Christian theology and applied it in a specific arena. And so. So, yeah, I just think that's so critical. Yeah, apply the Christian moral imagination to yes. the language that you use. Yes, yes, yes. To limit ourselves to what we're given by folks who who don't even have that type of relationship, who aren't even in the Bible, who don't have that rich, you know, some of those rich traditions. We're hurting ourselves, right? We should, I mean, we should be excited to say, no, 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 I can, I can say that better, and I can say that more faithfully, and, and in a way that's going to actually raise the discourse rather than lower it. Uh, so excellent question. That's it for our questions. This was we had a good time here. Again, this was our, uh, our 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 conversation getting ready for our book release, which is tomorrow, July 21st. Please go out and buy this book, Compassion and Conviction. I think you'll really be blessed by it. Uh, a lot of people have pre-ordered it. We're always already getting some very good reviews. And so we're excited about that. But we really want this to be a resource to the church. Again, it works on several levels for the person just entering politics, but also for the person that's been in politics for a while, that's really saying, man, I gotta do this better. Because we've all had those experiences and we wanna share those experiences with you. The number one thing we were trying to do with this is make sure that it was biblical and that it could be a resource for you. Again, shout out to uh, InterVarsity Press who just did a wonderful job and we had a great time working with them. Shout out to our launch team. Again, you guys are awesome. We're just getting started. We're in this movement with you. Without you, we're not going to reach all the people that we need to reach, but y'all have been doing a great job. We really appreciate you and appreciate everybody Appreciate everybody who's been supporting the Ann campaign, your kind words, your contribution. You buying this book means the world to us. We can change politics. We can change the way America is doing politics right now. 
if Christians will step up and be more Christian in this space. That's my last words. I'm going to give both you guys uh, uh, the last few words and just, you know, tell the people what, 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 what you want them to know right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just going to say, you know, picking up on what Justin said, I really believe that we can uh, uh, change politics if we uh, can organize the middle. There, there are, are a lot of folks in this country, and I, I think Christians have the opportunity to lead here, but there are a lot of folks in this country who just don't feel like they fit nicely uh, into a progressive mold or into a conservative mold. Uh, and what that Christian contribution to our politics can be is a higher way. Uh, we don't have to be uh, uh, kind of the lowest common denominator. Uh, there is a higher and healthier way. Um, and I do think Christians have a great opportunity to lead it because we have uh, the scripture as this unifying principle. Uh, but I think when we start doing it, uh, a lot of people will, will join this movement, even who, who don't even claim the name of Christ. Yeah, I can't really add to that. So I'll just say, you know, what a blessing it was to write this book with you gentlemen and how excited I am that the the public's going to get it tomorrow, and what a joy uh, it was. I'm so eager for folks to read uh, uh, these words, these ideas, uh, and so excited about what God's going to do. Uh, and so, you know, again, to the launch team, it's been fun reading through the comments. I think I saw someone in, I think Jason Martinez in Arizona said churches in Arizona were going through the book. Obviously, we've been getting such great feedback from the launch team. And so, just thanks to everyone who's been supporting this, and and uh, uh, we're, we're, we're going to be uh, on this journey together. Awesome, and we see the love in the, in the comments, man. We greatly appreciate you guys. Thank us for creating this book, which we're glad that you appreciate it. But we appreciate you, and we're depending on you too, right? We're depending on all of you to spread this book because this is, you know, this is again bigger than the Ann campaign. We're just a, a small piece of this. But you guys spreading the word, you guys spreading the content and building on what we do, right? Writing your own articles, getting stuff out there is huge. I think it starts with getting this out, sharing, sharing what the AND campaign is trying to do. Thank you so much. Uh, and we will be back within the next few weeks to talk about how all this is going. But thank you. Take care. Came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, can yeah. you handle it? I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a